Well, if I've ever had a friend, it's Brother George Pinion. Uh, and we got close, not around Bible study and not around preaching, but we make a trip every quarter through Atlanta to Brazelton for the executive board meeting of Macedonia World Baptist Missions. And if you don't get close to God with me driving through Atlanta, you never will. Amen. And uh, Brother George and I have had some good conversations and great drives through Atlanta. Amen. I believe at the rapture, some people will go through Atlanta because it's purgatory. But anyway, uh, I appreciate Brother George. He's been pastoring the Elizabeth Terrace. I didn't say Taylor. Elizabeth Terrace Baptist Church for 38 years. That's commendable. Amen. 38 years in one place. And he, pre he preached eight years before that in Griffin, Georgia. And so he's been pastoring uh, 45 years almost. Amen. And preaching more than that. And so thank the Lord for a man of God. And I guarantee you, you will appreciate that he preaches the word of God. Amen. You come, brother. We're praying for you. Bless you, brother. God bless you. Love you, brother. What a blessing to be here. Uh, Brother Wayne is a dear, dear friend. He and Sister Connie are two of the best friends we have in this world. Uh, preachers need to have good friends. Uh, I, uh, he talked about our trips to Atlanta. Didn't take me but a couple of trips going down there and back till I realized that I needed to drive. <laughs> and he needed to co-pilot. <laughs> I, uh, I got so nervous and, and I couldn't even pray. And so I decided the best thing to do uh, was let him, uh, him co-pilot and he can get ways and uh, tell us what's going on and uh, which way to go and which way not to go. But uh, it is an honor for me to be here tonight. I'm so very thankful that God has blessed us and allowed us to be a part of the ministry and uh, has given to us some of the most precious friends in the world. Amen. What a blessing it's going to be to get to heaven. Amen. And have all eternity to, to, yes, to enjoy each other and uh, serve the Lord and not have to worry about the pandemic. Oh, yes. mm. Won't that be glorious? Hallelujah Amen. for that. Well, preacher, what you got in the bag? Well, you see, if you'd been here last week, you would have known they were going to have taco salad tonight. So I got Tums in, in the uh, bag. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> We'll open the bag after a while and, and uh, share some things with you. Uh, but Wayne, I was talking before the service tonight. Uh, I left Dalton. I, I worked in Dalton for a number of years before I, I surrendered to the ministry. And I left Dalton in 1976, actually the last part of 1975. And uh, I was working for the old E2 Barwick Company, working for their chemical company. And uh, God called me to preach. And the Lord opened the door for us to go to Griffin, Georgia and serve and uh, we left here and spent eight years there uh, in seminary. And uh, then the Lord opened the door for us to come back to Rossville, and God has blessed us. I thank the Lord for what He's done for us and the privilege to serve Him. Amen. The Lord saved me when I was 13 years old. I was blessed to have been reared in a Christian family. I've often told folks I went to church nine months before I was born, so I, I've been... I've been going to church about 81 years at this point in my life, but uh, my mama was a very do devoted Christian, and my dad, because uh, my dad was a Christian, dad worked second shift, and uh, mom always, uh, every evening, mom would take her little Redford's five and ten cent sore, a red letter edition of the King James Bible, Amen. and set my brother and I down and read the Bible and pray for us. A lot of times after uh, we'd had devotion, she'd read the Bible and prayed for us. My brother and I then would go on to bed. 
And I couldn't tell you how many times before I was saved, I would hear my mother down on her knees praying after we went to bed, God, please don't let my boys go to hell. Please save my boys. Well, he did. And I'm thankful for that. I never intended on being a preacher. I, I'm an introvert by nature. I, I'd much rather Brother Wayne be up here, Brother Gregory be up here. Somebody, Brother Bud, be up, somebody be up here beside me. But, uh, you know, it's amazing. I, God has a sense of humor, Brother Bud. <laughs> he really does. And uh, I'm thankful that God called me to preach and the privilege sure. to serve Him. I'm going to ask you, ask if you would, to open your Bibles with me tonight, the book of Acts, chapter number 28. Acts chapter 28. Uh, I don't know how many years ago now, uh, I ordered some of uh, Brother Clarence Sexton's uh, Sunday School literature, and he had a series on the book of Acts. And... Uh, uh, on the first century church, and God really began to stir my heart about the first century church. Uh, I preached through the book of Acts uh, twice. I'm finishing that up again. I really uh, had another message on my heart, but uh, as the Lord dealt with me about tonight, I want to be a help to you. I want to be a blessing to you. I, I'm not here to impress anybody. If you came to be impressed, you came to the wrong place. I won't be able to move around like Will Allen did last week. He's a lot younger than I am, so uh, I'm a little older. So I'll be standing right here and uh, most of the night. If you see me run, you know it's not me. It had to be the Lord in that. But uh, <clears throat> the book of Acts gives us uh, a view of the first century church. Gives us a blueprint of what the Lord intended for His church to be. If you want to know what God wants the church to be today, don't look at the church across town or the church down the road, but look to the book of Acts because this is what God intends for His church to be here. Um, uh, Brother Andy Bell helped me over at uh, Brother Spence uh, last month in the, in the meeting when he said, uh, everybody talks about plagiarism. He said, let me tell you what plagiarism is. Plagiarism is when you take one man's material and you just use it all the way. That's plagiarism. But he said, when you take many men's material and put it all together, that's research. So I've done a lot of research tonight, and I wouldn't claim originality on anything that I'll share. Uh, if a man of God doesn't study, he's not going to have anything to share with people. And so I'm a product of what I've studied. Acts chapter 28. I'm going to ask you if you would, if you're able to stand, to stand with me tonight. We'll read the first six verses. Pray, and then I want to share some thoughts with you that the Lord bless my heart with out of these verses. Acts uh, chapter 28, verse 1, the Bible says, And when they, this is Paul and those on board the ship with him, and when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was Maleta. And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness. For they kindled a fire and received us every one because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly. But after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds 
and saw that He was a God, little g, God. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank You for the reading of the Word of God tonight. Thank You for the promise of the Holy Spirit being here tonight. Thank You, Lord, for the promise that You've given to us as we're faithful, as we seek Your face, for the anointing power of God to preach Your Word. Now help me tonight, Lord. I know who I am and what I am. I know how unworthy I am to stand in this place. And so I I cry out to You in faith. Help me tonight. Make me a blessing to every heart in this room if there's one here unsaved. May the convicting power of God grip their heart tonight and I pray for their salvation. And then, Lord, I pray for Your people here this evening that uh, in the midst of these uh, uh, tumultuous days that there be a stirring of the Spirit of God in our hearts, uh, drawing us to Yourself and kindling and rekindling that fire in our bosom to serve God. Bless and have your way in every heart and life. In Jesus' name I pray and ask. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Here in Acts 28, the Apostle Paul is on the last leg of his earthly journey. Uh, We don't have the record of his death given to us in the Word of God. Uh, we, We do know that he went on to Rome and from Uh, What we read, he was uh, literally gave his life there. His head was severed. They cut his head off because of his faith and his stand for God. Here in Acts 28, he has spent two years as a prisoner in Caesarea. And now he's on his way to Rome. Uh, He has appealed as a Roman citizen that uh, he would be allowed to go to Rome and and, uh, appeal his case before Caesar, having a desire in his heart to have the opportunity just to go there and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's been placed in the hands of a centurion. That's a man of authority in the Roman army, a man by the name of Julius. And they have boarded a ship for Rome. Acts 27 gives us the account of their perilous journey. Acts 27 is a storm chapter in the Word of God. Also in Acts 27, we see how the good hand of God protected them in the midst of a ferocious storm. I've looked at this chapter numerous times, and the name of that storm intrigues me. Eurycliden. Doesn't that sound like a good name for a hurricane? Sounds sounds a lot better to me than Katrina or uh, Arthur or or Homer or or something like that. And uh, they they are hit by this terrible storm uh, cyclone, uh, storm at sea, and the winds are great, the, the waves are great, uh, the darkness is great, the, the fog is terrible. I, I mean, it's a mess. 276 people on board that ship, and uh, the ship was destroyed, but all 276 people on board that ship were saved because they obeyed the man of God. Hello? They obeyed the man of God, and as a result of that, they were saved. The ordeal is over as we come to chapter 28. The long night is ended. They are standing on shore. They're wet. They're cold, no doubt trembling in the coldness of the night. There are no doubt some of the islanders who have witnessed what's going on. They've heard the commotion perhaps, and they have come to the shore to see what they can do. There are pieces of the ship, wreckage of the ship, probably laying all around them on the the shoreline there. These islanders quickly build a fire because it's not only wet, but it's very cold. 
The rain continues to pour down upon them. And from, a, from an earthly perspective, it, it's a, it has to be a very bewildering time, a very depressing time. I seriously doubt, as I read the, the, the opening verses of this chapter, if, uh, if any of those who have survived the storm and, and the shipwreck, if they really understand what's going on, and I doubt very seriously if those people uh, who live on the island know anything about what has gone on because there have been some miraculous things that have taken place to bring these folks to where they are. As I studied this 28th chapter, which gives us really our last look at the first century church from the Word of God, the events involved in the church, my thoughts were drawn to the hour in which you and I are living tonight. I believe with all of my heart tonight that we are living in the last part of the Philadelphian church age. I believe we're already seeing signs of the Laodicean church age. Would you agree with that? I believe we are near the end of this thing and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you remember in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 8, our Lord is talking about the church at Philadelphia. And he said, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. The very center phrase of that verse is what catches my attention about where the church is this evening. Thou hast a little strength. That means all the power is not gone. That means not all the fire is gone. There is still a little fire left. There's still a little strength left there. And that tells me that what is needed in the hour that we're living in is someone to put some more wood on the fire. Somebody to step into the midst of God's people. Somebody among the people of God who'd get a burden about the, the work of the Lord and, and the reaching of the lost and somebody who'd be willing to pick up some more wood and put it on the fire. I believe tonight we're facing some of the same conditions that the Apostle Paul was facing here in Acts 28. I believe the hour's late. I believe the spiritual temperature is cold. And I believe with all of my heart, Brother Wayne, tonight, God needs somebody God needs somebody to pick up some sticks and put them on the fire. So I want to talk to you for a little while tonight about picking up sticks. I want us to look at the life of the Apostle Paul and the challenge that's here for our hearts as God's people today. I see three miraculous things taking place here in, in these first verses. First of all, there is the miracle of the unseen pilot. Look back at verse number one. And when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was Melita. We see God's piloting hand upon the life of the Apostle Paul here in verse number 1. This island, we the name's a little different today. It's the island of Malta today. And if you go online, I, I, I went online looking at the island of Malta. It's a very beautiful place today. I mean, it's a... It's a heavily populated place, not a big island. It's about 18 miles long, 8 miles wide. It's about 60 miles south of Sicily. It's about 180 miles from the nearest point of uh, the African coast. 
But if you get a map and you look at it, it'll only look like a dot in the middle of a great body of water. I mean, it's just a speck on the map, if you will, uh, in the ocean, water all around it. And so what we find here in our text is that a ship, read chapter 27, a ship without a compass, a ship without the aid of a human pilot, a, a ship completely out of human control has made its way to the only place of refuge to be found in that great expanse of water. If they had missed that island, disaster would have been inevitable. Either the ship would have sunk, or what remained of it would have splintered all along the, the shores of the North African coastline. It's impossible to look at the details of chapter 27 and the first part of chapter 28 without realizing and recognizing the unerring guidance given by the Lord in this situation. How, how that God was in control of bringing them to where they were. Even when the conditions were hopeless. Even when it looked like all odds were against them. Even in a terrifying time, God piloted the vessel through some 500 miles of turbulent waters. Read back chapter 27. Fog is so thick you can't see your hand in front of your face. But through every bit of that, God's hand miraculously guided and provided Paul and all of those on board that ship to where they are. Do you know what that encourages me concerning? That encourages me tonight that a God who would pilot the life of the Apostle Paul and this ship of 276 people... That God wants to pilot my life and your life tonight. I want to tell you, we're not on a ship tonight in the midst of a tempestuous stormy sea, but we're living in perilous, dangerous days. Would you agree with that? Amen. These are dangerous times. I've been saved 66 years. I, I've been pastoring 45 years, and I will tell you tonight, I have never seen a more difficult hour than the hour we're living in tonight. It, it, these, are, these are troublesome days that we're in, difficult days that we're in. Our personal lives, our homes, our churches have never been under more spiritual attack, beloved, than they are today. Spiritual warfare is, is more intense in this hour than at any time I have ever witnessed in my Christian life. My heart breaks as I listen to the stories being told by individuals concerning the personal attacks that they're under. I weep as I listen and observe the destruction being brought upon our homes, how the lives of our children. We, we've got a generation of young people today whose lives are being wrecked because of the assault of Satan upon our homes. I tremble as I talk to pastor friends about the struggle and the battle that we're in just to carry on the work of God trying, trying to do what we believe and understand the Word of God teaches us that we're to do for the Lord. But here's what you and I need to be reminded of tonight. The same God that was piloting the ship that Paul was on wants to pilot my ship and your ship tonight. He wants to be in charge of your life tonight. He wants to be in charge of my life tonight. He wants to be in charge of your home tonight. 
He wants to be in charge of your church. God, God's desire is to put his hand upon the helm. He wants to be in charge of the compass of our lives and carry us where he desires for us to be. Paul said in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, I'll never leave thee. Jesus said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. I thought about the words of Edward Hopper's great hymn as I studied the first part of this chapter. Jesus, Savior, pilot me over life's tempestuous sea. Unknown waves before me roll, hiding rock and treacherous shoal. Chart and compass come from thee, Jesus, Savior, pilot me. As a mother stills her child, thou canst hush the ocean wild. Boisterous waves obey thy will when thou sayest to them, be still. Wondrous sovereign of the sea, Jesus, Savior, pilot me. When at last I near the shore and the fearful breakers roar twixt me and the peaceful rest, then while leaning on thy breast, may I hear thee say to me, Fear not, I will pilot thee. I remember, I, I don't know how many years ago it's been now, you know, when you get almost 80 years old, remembering what you had for breakfast becomes a real chore sometimes. <laughs> but I, I remember when this little bumper sticker became real popular. Everybody was sticking it on the bumper on the car. Jesus is my co-pilot. And everybody thought that was such a, just a catchy thing. Well, I, 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 don't, I was behind somebody one day and I saw that and I thought, you know, that's not so good. He, I don't want him to be co-pilot of my life. Hello? I want him to be pilot of my life. I want him to have his hand on the helm. Listen, my personal life, my home, uh, my family, my church, everything about my life, I want him to have his hand on the helm leading me. He's the, he's the unseen pilot. In our life. Is he un, the unseen pilot in your life? Has there been that time in your life when you simply by faith ask him, oh Lord, would you come in, take a hold of this mess and turn it the right way and put me on a blessed road where you can bless and work through my heart and life. Amen. I see first of all the miracle of the unseen pilot. Secondly, I see the miracle of the undaunted preacher. Look at verse 2. The barbarous people showed us no little kindness for they kindled a fire and received us everyone because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire. Now Luke describes these uh, islanders as barbarous people. And when you and I read that word barbarous, the first thing we think about is savages, cannibals, wild-looking people. But that's, that's not what the word means there. The Romans gave that definition of bar, barbarians to, to anybody who could not speak the, uh, the, the, the Roman language, either Latin or Greek, one of the two. I understand the people of uh, this island were of Phoenician descent, and so... Uh, they, they spoke kind of a mixture of the whole thing, and, and it was sort of like bye-bye, and so they called them barbarians. It was part of the Roman Empire. It was governed by uh, an appointed official who was known as the chief man on the island, or the first man on the island. And these islanders recognized the need of those who had been on board that ship. Man, it's, it's been a mess. They, they've been on board that ship for days and days and days. And now the ship has come apart. 
uh, on the, the rocks coming in. And some of them have floated in on board, some on scrap pieces, but they've all been saved. And here they stand, wet and cold, and they realize the need. And so they kindled a fire so they could get warm. But notice what the Apostle Paul does here. Now think about it. They just managed to escape the tempest of the storm. They just managed to get their feet on solid ground. They just managed to get where there's a little bit of heat. The islanders have built that fire and they no doubt have gathered around it to find some warmth. And while all of this is going on, what is Paul, the great apostle to the Gentiles, the writer of 14 books of our New Testament, what is Paul doing? Is he preaching to them? Does he say, now wait a minute, you guys gather around here in the light and let me preach you a sermon. No. Does he say, now wait a minute, fellas, I need to give you a seminar on Jesus is the master of the sea. No. What is Paul doing? Look at it. He's gathering more fuel. He's gathering sticks to go onto the fire. You know what he's doing? He's declaring to his companions, those who've been on board the ship with him, that though he's a prisoner, even though he's locked down, even though he can't preach, even though he can't hold any meetings, that he's not going to become a slave to his circumstances. He's not going to let the circumstances that, that have a grip on his life to hold him. And he busies himself picking up sticks to keep the fire burning. Now, if anybody ever had a reason to quit, Paul had it. Persecuted, beaten, arrested, betrayed, imprisoned, shipwrecked. I don't know where he knows whether his head's going to be chopped off or not. Evidently he does as he talks to Timothy, the time of my departure is at hand. I don't know. But, but here he is. Look at what he's doing. He's determined to do what he can do to keep the fire burning. Yes, sir. Not preaching. Not, not, not having a seminar on how to, how to overcome shipwreck. Not, not, not having a singing school to teach him how to, how to sing hymns. No. He's doing what he can do to keep the fire going. Yes. Not doing anything showy. Not doing anything to call attention to himself. There's no glory, there's no glimmer, there, 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 there's no, no glitter to what, what he's doing. Picking up sticks. I mean, how much glamour is there in picking up sticks to put on a fire? Yeah, right. A lot of this crowd today of, of holy roller preachers that wouldn't have, wouldn't have busied themselves doing that. They, if, I can't be, if I can't be identified for what I'm doing, I'm not going to do anything. Well, what it is, is a picture of humility. Right. A picture of humility in Paul's life. Did you know that's the quality that God's looking for in my life and in your life? Humility. When God finds humility in a person's life, He knows He can use that person. James chapter 4 and verse 6 says, He giveth grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5 and verse 5 says, He resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Isaiah 7, 57 and verse 15 says, He revives the spirit of the humble. Psalms 9 and verse 12 says, He forgetteth not the cry of the humble. God is looking for humility in my life and in your life. What a, what a rare, what a, what a usable quality is this thing of humility in the life of a Christian. Sure. 
Jesus said to His disciples, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly. Jonathan Edwards wrote, Nothing gets a soul so much out of the devil's reach as true humility. I was reading about uh, a fellow by the name of Lucky Baldwin. Lucky Baldwin, Brother Gregory, you, you probably run across his name. He worked in prisons. God had, God had saved Lucky Baldwin out of, a, uh, out of a hellish lifestyle. God's marvelous grace had, had wondrously saved him and, and, and then used him greatly in prison work. And it was said of him that he often was heard as he prayed, O oh Lord, I was nothing, and I am nothing, and nothing from nothing leaves nothing. I'm nothing. Do you know what I am? I'm nothing. Do you know what you are this evening? You're nothing apart from the grace of Almighty God. You and I are nothing tonight. Paul knew that outside of Christ, he was nothing. He was a, he was a zero with a hole knocked out of the middle. He referred to himself time and again as the least of the least. And what's he doing? What is he doing? Picking up sticks. That's all he's doing. Just going around picking up sticks. Why? To keep the fire burning. What do I need to be doing in this hour? Hello? What do you need to be doing in this hour? What is it that you and I need to be doing in, in these last moments of the church age before Jesus comes in trouble? What do you and I need to be doing today? Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 20. First part of that verse says, Where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. Now the remaining part of that verse, uh, it, it, the first part of it is not in context with what I'm preaching, but he goes on to talk about gossip there. And he's talking about the gospel tongue. If you don't have a gospel tongue, there will be no fire set. But I will tell you, the first part of that, that verse is very true. It's very practical. Where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. And Paul is setting an example here for every child of God, no matter who you are, no, no, matter, no matter what you may be involved in in your Christian life, he's setting an example for every single one of us in our Christian lives, and that is look around. There's sticks everywhere that you and I can pick up and put on the fire to keep the fire burning. Amen. What a need there is in this hour for, for fire among the people of God. Amen. What does fire do? It gives light. What does fire do? It gives warmth. Amen. What does fire do? It provides, it provides survival. We're living in an hour when there's such a danger of the fire, spiritual fire, flickering, flickering, flickering in this hour. We're talking before the service. Oh, I pray. I prayed today. God, please, please don't let this crowd shut our churches down again. God knows about all that. I have to leave that in His hands. He knows about all of it. Right. I have an idea if I do what I could do picking up sticks and you could do what you could do picking up sticks, it won't matter if they lock the doors of this church. The fire will still burn. Look, look over in China where, where, they'll, where they'll imprison you and kill you for serving God. And yet the fire of God continues to burn and souls are saved. But I tell you tonight, there are many hearts where the fire has gone out. Folks that have gotten cold on God. You know anybody like that? Cold on God. There are many fire, many homes tonight where the fire's gone out. Love grown cold for each other. 
There are many churches tonight where the fire's gone out. They're cold and uncaring. One time they had a burden for souls. One time they had a desire to see people saved, but the burden's gone. Our faith is cold. Our love is cold. Our joy is cold. Our thoughtfulness is cold. Our kindness toward each other is cold. Our worship is cold. Our praise is cold. Our testimonies are cold. And I say to you tonight, beloved, it's time, it is time, it is high time tonight that we pick up some sticks and throw them on the fire to keep this fire burning. Bus workers and soul winners, pick up some sticks and throw them on the fire. Sunday school teachers, pick up some sticks and throw them on the fire. Deacons, pick up some sticks and throw them on the fire. Choir members, pick up some sticks and throw them on the fire. Church members, pick up some sticks and throw them on the fire. Preachers, it's time for men of God to get in the pulpit and clear their throat and preach the word of God. Pick up some sticks and throw them on the fire. I tell you tonight, we've got the best woodshed in the world tonight, the word of God. Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 29, he is not my word as a fire. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 21 says, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so I would say to you tonight, would someone pick up some sticks and throw them on the fire? We can't let the fire go out. We can't let the fire go out. We cannot let the fire go out. There's souls all up and down the road from this church dying, going to hell. We cannot let the fire go out tonight. 276 souls on that ship with the Apostle Paul. Here he is putting wood on the fire for them. Oh God, help us to get a burden for a lost world around us tonight. We cannot let the fire go out. So we see the miracle of the unseen pilot, the miracle of the undaunted preacher. And then thirdly, I see the miracle of the unfailing promises of God. Look back at verse number 3 again. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, no doubt this man's a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. He's getting what he deserves. This guy's been a bad dude. Verse 5, and he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit they looked when he should have swollen or fallen dead suddenly, but after they had looked a great while and so no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a God. I want you to notice Paul's peril here. This thing of serving, God never, God never promised us a, a children's nursery to serve in when He called us to serve Him. He never promised us an easy place. He, he, never, he never made one promise to us that this thing of serving God's going to be easy. I, I thought, well, you know, I, I used to have the impression the older you get, the easier things going to come. But what I found, that's just not true. The older I get, the more difficult things become. As Paul busies himself for the Lord, He's suddenly bitten by a poisonous viper. What is that? That's a snake. A poisonous viper or a snake. The Bible tells us here that when the islanders saw this venomous viper holding Paul's hand, they thought, well, he's a, he's a guilty criminal. He, he's done something bad and he's, he's, he's just getting what he deserves. That's the philosophy they had. 
What they didn't understand is that God often uses dangers and difficulties and trials and tribulations in the lives of His saints to demonstrate His grace and provision to a lost world through their lives. I don't always know why things happen in my life. I, I, I have friends that are going through struggling times. I don't always know what, what's going on and why it's going on in their lives. But I can tell you this, God uses those things in the lives of His children to demonstrate His grace and His provision to a lost world, the reality of knowing Him and the forgiveness of sin. The Bible tells us that Paul shook the viper off into the fire. Now you guys ought to be able to take that verse and preach a message on it. I mean, if you don't get anything else, you ought to be able to preach a message on that tonight. It's always a good thing for God's people to shake the evil off that's in this world. Amen? Amen. Shake it off where? In the fire. Trouble comes when you hold on to an evil thing. Shake off the drugs. Shake off the alcohol, the pornography, the gambling. Shake off the cursing. Get rid of those evil things. If you don't, if you don't, you're going to find yourself hurt bad. One of the things that we need to see here is that in this world, there's always going to be danger in serving God. Always going to be trouble in serving God. There's always going to be peril in serving God. Brother Gregory's working down in the jail at Walker County where one of my folks who went to be with the Lord, Brother Marty Frisky. Marty was chaplain at Walker County Jail for I don't know how many years. And I often had people come to me and say, why in the world would he want to go down there and work in that jail? Well, all them people, he could get killed. Well, you get killed out here in the parking lot tonight. Fact is, we could get killed right here in this building tonight. There, there's no place of safety in this world except in Jesus. Hello? In Him. There's peril in serving God wherever you are. Now, I don't believe God blesses foolishness. I, 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 don't, I, I don't believe God blesses stupidity. I, I think He watches over a lot of stupid people. <laughs> Amen? But I do believe that God honors those who are faithful to Him. Paul did not reach into a pile of sticks looking for a snake. Okay, get over that. He didn't look into that. Well, there's a snake. I believe I'll take him out of there. There are those who've taken the scripture over in Luke chapter 16 and verse 18 where Jesus said they shall take up serpents and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They've taken that to mean that they ought to, they ought to practice that and handle snakes or drink poison, drink strychnine. I, I thought, my soul, how dumb can you be? Somebody said, What kind of snakes do you not like? Deadens and livens. Somebody said, Well, black snakes, they're good snakes. They don't such thing as a good snake. I'm sorry. I hear these people talk about having a pet snake in their basement. If we if we had a pet snake at my house, there's two old people living there that'd have to move out. If you ever see this preacher with one up in his hands, you call the guy with the butterfly nets because he's crazy. He's lost his mind. The important thing to understand here is that there is and there will be until Jesus comes again a peril in serving the Lord. But I want you to look at Paul's promise. Paul faced some peril, but there was a problem. If you look back to chapter 23 and verse 11, you find the promise the first time very beginning uh, of this chapter, this last chapter in Paul's life. Acts 23 and verse 11, the Lord came to him in the night. 
He's already been arrested. He's already in the hands of this crowd. And, and the Lord comes to him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also in Rome. Don't worry about this, Paul, because you're going to Rome. You get on in, into chapter 27 and verses, verses 23 and 24, and the Lord reaffirms that promise again. God promised Paul would safely go to Rome, and guess what? He did. The unfailing promises of God. And what we're reading here is another fulfillment of the promises that God makes to His people. When the islanders saw the miraculous deliverance of Paul, their thoughts were changed completely. If you look at it in verse 6, they said they changed their minds. All of a sudden, man, things, things have changed completely here. And if you read on down in this chapter, uh, there's a fellow by the name of Publius. Some, some say he started public supermarket. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> he was the chief man on the island. The Romans had put him there to be in charge. Well, these folks are heathen. They, they, Paul hadn't started a church here, but he's about to. We don't read, we don't read anything else about this man Publius, but uh, if you take uh, anything from secular history and, and, and what's revealed there, he was saved. And of course, the Bible even tells us his heart was so moved toward them and he gave them lodging until they could find permanent lodging to, for the wintertime there. And then later on, uh, this old boy's daddy got very ill and was about to die. And who did he call for? The man of God. Go get Paul. He called him and prayed. Paul prayed for the man and healed him. And, and, and uh, it had such an effect on this man Publius that we're told he got saved and even became pastor of the church. Now, I don't know whether that's, I don't know whether that's reality or not, but I, I can see that taking place. Can you? Amen. Why did that happen? All of that happened because God's man put some kindling on the fire. He took some pieces of wood and put them on the fire to cause the fire to go up. What was Paul? Paul was a fire builder. That's what he was. Let me ask you tonight, are you a fire builder? Are you a fire builder in the work of God? I'll tell you tonight, there's some people who are doing more to smother the fire than they are to kindle it. Coming through this mess we've come through, I've witnessed it, unfaithfulness among God's people. Oh, I thank the Lord for, for YouTube and, and, and Facebook and being able to, when we couldn't go to church, being able to watch the services there, but... But folks have gotten used to sitting in their jammers and drinking their coffee and turning it off and on if they want to instead of getting up and going to the house of God. And they're just sitting there unfaithful. What does that do? It smothers the fire. Casualness. Listen, it gags me when I see the casualness of so many of God's people today about serving the Lord. Look at the life of Paul. He was never off duty. There was not a time in his life when Paul said, I got to take a break from this Christian thing. I need a break from preaching. I need a break from serving God. What I want you to see here is that as believers, we're on duty 24-7-365. There is no time that we're off duty as people of God. Somebody said, but that's my preacher. No, 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 no. Sure, he's on duty 24-7-365. But if you're saved, 
So are you tonight. Paul's goal was to keep the fire burning. So I'd say to you tonight, would you pick up some sticks and put them on the fire? How about you tonight in your Christian life? Would you pick up some sticks and put them on the fire? Sunday school teacher, would you commit your life to God to picking up a stick and put it on the fire? Deacon, would you commit your life to God to picking up a stick and put it on the fire? Choir member, would you commit yourself to God? I'm going to pick up a stick and put it on the fire to keep the fire at Whitfield Baptist Church burning that, that a testimony in this community would go on for the living God in this day. If you do that tonight, in just a moment, when we have an invitation, why don't you come and get one of these sticks and get in the altar and tell God about that. And then, I got these sticks real little so you can put it in your Bible. That way when you go home, you'll have that stick and you can remember tonight when you got on your face down here and prayed. And ask God to help you to pick up sticks and put them on the fire to keep the fire burning. Then you may be here tonight among that crowd that's been smothering the fire. And you may need to come and get right with the Lord tonight first. And then pick up that stick and put it in your Bible. Say, boys, for me and my house from today on my home, we're going to keep putting sticks on the fire. Maybe you need to slip down here tonight take your preacher by the hand during the invitation. Say, preacher, I love you. I, I thank God for you. You've been faithful. You came to Dalton, Georgia all those years ago. And you stuck with it. Through the good times, through the bad times, through the hard times, you stuck with it. You, you, you've tried to keep the fire burning. And preacher, I just want, to know, want you to know I appreciate you and I'm going I'm to do with all I can, with all of my strength to help you keep the fire burning in this place till Jesus comes. Then you may be in this room tonight and you've never been saved. I want to tell you what God wants to do for you tonight. He wants to save your soul. Amen. Right. Amen. He loves you with an everlasting love tonight. That you, you can't, you, listen, there are no words in my vocabulary nor in the, in, in the vocabulary of anybody else that I know of tonight that ex- can in any way at all explain to you how great the love of God is and how much He'd love to save you tonight. And if you're here and you've never been saved, I want to invite you to come and trust Christ as your Savior tonight. Would you bow your heads with me, please? I'm going to pray, and, and Brother Jeremy's going to come with the invitation song. Brother Wayne will be here at the front take the invitation. God's dealing with your heart, and you need to make a move. You don't need to hesitate. Every moment you hesitate, you're giving Satan an opportunity. Father, bless this invitation now. I've tried to be obedient to you. Lord, I feel with all of my soul tonight I've preached what you put on my heart for this hour. And I pray you'd help those in this room tonight who have need to respond, to be open and respond to you. That one who's unsaved, help them to come and trust Christ tonight. In Jesus' name I pray.